just like Jesus. That's our topic, and uh, I'm going to ask that you bear with me briefly because the introduction that I had worked up for the message that the Lord has put on my heart just seems totally inappropriate in light of the events of the last several days. And as we've already addressed, that there are many that are here and that may hear my voice because they're not actually sitting here that are going through trials and they are suffering and they are having a pain. And, and I, you know, those of you who know me and have gotten to know me understand that I'm a type A, I'm a task oriented individual. I want to do things. I want to, you know, you want to fix it. You just, you know, that, I mean, that's my DNA. And there are times when you just need to just be quiet and sit there and hold somebody. I'm not very good at that. But God is breaking Roy and replacing that individual with one who's a little bit more sensitive in the moment. And in this particular moment, in the topic that the Lord has put on my heart for the passage we're going to address this morning, the, the, the topic is inescapable. It's our text this morning, and that is doubt. And if there's ever a time in our lives when doubt can be just, just daunting, can be overwhelming in the flesh. It's in time of pain and sorrow and in the loss of someone or something that matters much to us. So that said, we need to get on with our text. All of us have doubt. It comes out differently based on our personality and and how we manage the events of this life, but we all have doubts. And before I go too far, let me make one thing clear, very, very clear up front, and that is that doubt is an integral part of God's creation. Doubts are at the heart of most questions. Someone makes a statement, how do you know that it's true? You have to think about it. You have to maybe say, wait a minute. Is what that person said true? So without doubt, we're unlikely to ask questions. But where do doubts come from? In all of creation, doubts stand with reasoning and faith as distinctly human. Doubts, faith, reasoning. If reasoning were a coin, faith and doubts would be its two sides. God gave the capacity for both faith and doubt to every one of us. Think about it. Without both of them, how would you have free will? You're not sure about that? <laughs> Good, I think you've proved my point. You have to have some doubts. That is something that's a God-given thing. So let's pray and take a look at our text and see where that leads us on this topic of doubt. Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak from this passage, and I pray, Lord, that you will speak in and through me and to the hearts of those that are here and that might hear my voice, and that as it comes to this matter of doubt, that you will speak through me and address the doubts that anyone might have, for I ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And when, he, and when they came to the disciples, 
they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. God bless you. Immediately the father, I'm sorry. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What a great passage. Today's account is included in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, typically, Mark's account of the events in Jesus' life and ministry are generally the shorter accounts, except for this case, thankfully for us, because Mark, in this particular case, includes an exchange that, at least speaking for myself, has made a huge impact on my faith walk. Verse 14 begins with Jesus descending the mountain with Peter, James, and John. A huge crowd is assembled, and apparently there's a group that's arguing with the remaining nine disciples. They're having quite a go of it, and Jesus asks what all the commotion is about. And a man steps up from the crowd. His son has been struggling with demonic seizures, and we quickly learn that the commotion is centered on the inability of the disciples to heal the boy. This would be a good time to recall what Jesus had already provided his disciples back in Mark chapter 6. Verse 7, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, it's unclear exactly how much time has passed since chapter 6, but we know it couldn't have been a very long period of time. 
Jesus made it very clear that he had given the disciples the authority to deal with evil opposition. In other words, Jesus had given his disciples everything they needed to deal with the situation, but they were unable to do it. Why? Why couldn't the disciples handle this particular demon? It's similar to the reason we struggle to live out our lives with the authority that Jesus has placed in us. Doubt. It undermines us and it undermines many of our efforts for the kingdom. Jesus had given his disciples authority, and while he was away with Peter, James, and John at the, the transfiguration, they had an opportunity to use that authority while Jesus wasn't immediately there. Right? They failed. They hadn't forgotten. We know that they hadn't forgotten because immediately after, in verse 28, what did they do? They asked, why couldn't we do it? As best as I can tell, verse 19, which is in all three of the accounts, Matthew 17 and Luke 9, if you're interested, are the it's the only time in all of the Gospels where we have Jesus' disappointment and frustration verbalized for us in this particular manner. Right? Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you? It's the opposite of doubt, faith, right? So the supposition is their doubts were disabling their faithful effectiveness. I have to believe that when doubts keep us from doing what we are empowered to do, Jesus has said those exact words many, many times in the centuries that have passed since the ascension. Every generation of believers has had the authority to do everything that Jesus has commanded us and the power to do it, and yet it seems pretty clear that we haven't. Returning now to verse 22, and for me one of the great exchanges in all of Scripture. The Father asks, but if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, exclamation points there, if I can, all things are possible to the one who believes. And immediately, I mean, just like that, the father says, I do believe, help my unbelief. And there it is. One little two-letter word, if. If you can do anything, the Father said. Remove the if and it's no longer a question. Remove the if and what you're left with is, you can do anything. Many doubts, many of our doubts, are framed with the word if. It is a conjunction. It is most frequently used to introduce a conditional clause. For example... If you have a complaint, take it up with my boss, right? It's a conditional clause. If this, then that. 
Anybody who does a technical background knows that if-then whole thing, right? We build conditions with if. If is not a word that we use when we're making unconditional statements. It just isn't. If is a word we use when we have doubts. The disciples weren't any different than this father. They believed. We've said that many times. They believed, but they also doubted. The first question that this raises is, do our doubts bother us enough for us to ask for help, just like the father? Can we echo the father's words, help my unbelief? It's not that we don't believe. We have faith. I mean, you're here. <laughs> How else, though, would you explain our ongoing inability to do every single thing that Jesus commanded us to do? When doubts linger, the result is often an anemic faith, one that's powerless, joyless. We're ineffective and quite often, we don't understand exactly why. Now, to be perfectly clear, power and authority belong to God the Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. And access to that power is exclusively Jesus's to grant. And you have to believe that. It's not up to what I can muster up. Does that make sense? This is God's power that we're talking about. But every single one of us struggle with it to a certain extent. We have certain doubts. And then that begs the question, what, if anything, can we do about it? And I have to admit, the only thing that I know of that helps with doubt is what Jesus said himself in verse 29. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I've said it. John has said it. Anyone who ever dares to speak or teach knows the Christian has basically tool, two tools for battling our doubts. Scripture and prayer. What I'm about to share has eluded me I mean, it really did elude me for decades, and I'm embarrassed to share that, but facts are facts, right? I've always considered Scripture separately from prayer. They were two different and distinctly independent things. And I have to admit, I no longer see it that way. They are a single tool. Let me explain what I mean. You need both, not one or the other. Combined, they multiply our faith. Combined, they help us to understand from our limited human perspective what God is doing to glorify himself and how we can be a part of what he's doing. God requires faith to please him. Doubts weaken our faith, denying us a part of what God himself wants to share. 
Jesus makes it quite plain in verse 29. There are times when prayer and prayer alone is the only way to see something through. Now, notice I didn't say get something done. I said see something through. Forgive me. Our challenge is that most of us pray with doubts or as James 4.3 suggests that we ask improperly. God is sovereign. His will is sovereign. When we pray, if our prayers are aligned with his will, then our prayers appear to get something done. When in fact, what we've merely managed to do is align our prayers with his will. Now, there's also a mystery element to prayer, attention. Yes, prayer is mostly about what I just said, aligning our will with God's will and what he's doing. But it's also about making requests. I like the way the message puts it in Matthew 18, 19. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. I really just real I really do like the way that that's phrased. How do our requests and God's sovereignty align? Truthfully, I'm not sure. When it comes to the fact that there's we are we are told to pray and make requests, it's a mystery. A mystery that only our faith can settle by the way. There's no place where you can just go and do arithmetic and have that sorted out. Tensions arise within us, and doubts, I might add, when we think into action. That phrase, that phrase, my Father in heaven goes into action. Tensions arise whenever we think that into action means God's going to do whatever we asked. It's simply not so. Why else do you think Jesus modeled praying so frequently for us while he was here on earth? Jesus spent a lot of time, multiple times per day in prayer so that he could stay aligned with the Father. His prayer, not my will, thy will. John Piper I read this morning, and I just thought this was spectacular. John Piper puts it this way. Prayer does not move God to do things he is disinclined to do. He has every intention to cause his name to be glorified. Nothing is higher on God's priority list, but we should ask anyway. Right? So don't battle with yourself if you're not sure. God's it has told us, make your requests, make, make them known. With all my heart, I wish the tension between doubt and faith had a just do this solution. Scripture and history are littered with people claiming that they have answers to life and exactly what God means by all of this. And the Bible has a term for them quite often. 
antichrists. If Jesus isn't at the center of it and God isn't the authority, then I would suggest that Antichrist is at work, something that is not consistent with his will. So what can we learn from this passage? What are our takeaways? Well, for one, beware of the word if. It can turn truth into a question, a doubt. Now, doubts have their place. All doubts are not bad. Think of the Bereans. They had a healthy doubt concerning Paul's teachings. But here's the key. They didn't discuss it among themselves to see if they were persuaded. No. They searched the scriptures to see if what he said and claimed was so. And we would do well to do likewise. Jesus himself was scripture. He was the word in flesh, and yet he prayed. We don't have that advantage. Yes, the Holy Spirit is within us and empowers us and enables us to understand scripture in a way that until you have surrendered to Jesus Christ, you cannot. I mean, I remember reading the Bible before I was saved, and I got to tell you, I had more questions than answers when I was looking at it. I still have questions. But I have a peace which passes all understanding provided by the Holy Spirit himself who resides inside of me and he resides inside of you if you have surrendered to Jesus Christ. If you have entrusted your, your faith, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit is within you to help you battle your doubts. The Holy Spirit within you that will enable you to do the things with which Jesus has charged us to do as his disciples. And when doubts arise, as they will, we, since we're not Jesus, have to be in our Bibles. Have to be. Not an option. It's not something that would be good for you to do. It's something that is necessary for you to do. Praying. Jesus, I mean, over and over and over, he set himself aside. He secluded himself to pray. He was modeling for us. He was, while he was here, he was modeling for us the connection, the way to stay connected and to understand what the disciples didn't really get it, at this stage in Mark. And at this stage of Jesus' ministry, they kind of got it. They believed, but, they but their doubts hindered them doing what they had been authorized to do. Does that make sense? Because every single one of us, there's none of us that are exempt, not one. I have yet to meet the person that does every single thing that you read in Scripture that we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Not a single one. Now, is that a discouraging word? I don't think so. I think that that is an affirmation that we live and continue to live in a fallen world. So to button this up, 
Scripture and prayer, it's a multiplier. It multiplies our faith. It increases our faith. Not one or the other, both. Please, please start looking at them as a single thing. I promise you, you will be rewarded for doing that. Because I know, at least I'm speaking for myself, that when I stopped trying and I started letting the Holy Spirit use me, instead of trying to think that I had to know it all, pat down, walk the right walk, say all the right words, and just started in the moment like I did when I started this, this message by saying, in this particular moment, let the Spirit use you and speak through you. And you will most likely be more willing to do that if you have started your day, I know that there's, you know, if you're maybe a morning, you're not a morning person, you'd rather read it when you go to bed. Read it. And then pray in the moment. Praying without ceasing is an in the moment thing. It's a mindset that says, I want to honor God with my life right now. Not sometime down the road when I got time and, I, my, and my job isn't killing me right now. And here's the good news. The good news just keeps coming. Jesus has given us the authority, and even in this case, Jesus did not quit on his disciples. Lord knows if it was any one of us, we probably would have gone, are you kidding? I mean, but here, he showed, he expressed a little frustration. Let's be, let's be honest. That's I mean, that's what that was. But he still hung in there, and it kept explaining, and that's what Scripture does. It keeps explaining what God expects and what he will do and how he will work in and through us if we will let him. Let's pray. Father, I just know from my speaking for myself that it really bothered me to have to admit that I had unbelief, that I had doubts, that I wasn't as effective as I might could be if I would have listened to you or had trusted you when I thought I could handle it. But the truth is, I'm no different than the disciples at times. I mean, I, I just think, well, one, sometimes I think I shouldn't bother you. Other times, I don't trust that I have the authority or the power for the moment. Help our unbelief, help my unbelief. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the honor. For we pray in Jesus' name.